attention architects, and creative minds. Get ready to supercharge your brand with Build Your Brand, the podcast that's unlocking the secrets of branding success for creatives. Hey there, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my friend, architect marketing expert, Jeff Eccles at Build Your Brand Podcast, where he explores the captivating stories of the world's top brands and transforms their lessons into powerful moves for small firm architects and creatives like you. In season one, Jeff shares the thrilling tale of Southwest Airlines, where he dissects their journey to the summit and distills it into strategies tailor-made for you. It's important to keep in mind that companies like Southwest compete in the real world, just like you, and face real-world challenges, just like you. You might be surprised at how similar those challenges are to the struggles that you grapple with on a day-to-day basis. Don't miss out on your blueprint for success. Subscribe, tune in, and let's build your brand together. You may have noticed that the very best brands in the world are also known for having somewhat unique corporate cultures. That's often the glue that holds everything together when they encounter those rough spots. We don't do it because it inconveniences the passengers to whom we are primarily dedicated, the short haul uh, frequent flyer. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Your Brand today. Remember, no matter the size, the journey's the same. Your brand's journey to the top starts here. All right, Entree Architect community, it's time for Context and Clarity Live, where we spend an hour every Thursday afternoon searching for clarity around the things that matter most to you the architect. And it doesn't matter if you're the employee of a firm or if you own your own firm. Maybe you dream of starting your own thing. Maybe you've even said that 2021's my year and you're on the runway to starting your own thing. Or maybe you have had a firm for a year or 10 years or 20 years and you're starting to rethink or reimagine what that firm could or maybe even should be. All of the topics that we cover fall under the broad umbrella of the business of architecture and they're all the need-to-know topics for the success of architects just like you. If we've never met before, my name is Jeff Eccles, and what you're about to listen to is the audio recording of a conversation that my co-host Catherine McPhail and I had last week with our Context and Clarity guest. Every week, we have a new guest and a new topic, so let's jump right into the conversation. All right, Entree Architect community, it's 4 p.m. Eastern, which means it's time for the Entree Architect Context and Clarity Live conversation for Thursday, October 7th, 2021. Thanks for joining us today. As you get here, say hi. Let us know that you're here and let us know where you're joining the conversation from. The reason that we come here every Thursday afternoon is so that we can find clarity around the things that matter most to you. The architect, it doesn't matter if you are the employee of a firm or you own your own firm. Maybe you've circled a date on the calendar and you said 2021's my year. Or maybe you have owned your own firm for a year or 10 years or 20, how many, 26 years. And you're starting to rethink or reimagine what that firm could or maybe even should be. All of the topics that we cover, one topic every day, they're all, they all fall under the broad umbrella of the business of architecture. And they're all the need to know topics for the success of small firm architects just like you. If we've never met before, my name's Jeff. I'm in Indianapolis, and I'm joined today by Catherine. Hi, Catherine. 
Hey, Jeff. Welcome <clears throat> back. Well, thanks. Good to be back. It's been a long week. Four got, days I, into it. Four days into it. And guess I talked to Zach the other day. Zach uh, Waters. So I'm not stressed about that anymore, everybody. Just call Zach and you'll feel better. <laughs> That's very, guess, re very reassuring. Yeah. Uh, if you don't know what Catherine is referring to, two weeks ago we had Zach Waters as our Context and Clarity live guest on Thursday, which meant that we had an entire week. This is this is how we frame our weeks. And for those of you that are joining us via, via the uh, the future on the recorded version, the audio only version, the podcast version, of Context and Clarity, welcome. Um, when we have these Thursday conversations with our special guests. We use the topic to set the theme for the entire week. And so we talked to Zach two weeks ago about risk management. And so basically, we spent a week of talking about risk and fear. <laughs> and we know yeah. that uh, that uh, caused a little anxiety um, yeah. in in some of us. So I'm glad yeah. that you were able to follow up with Zach and yeah. get it was rid nice of some of that fear. Again. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. I'm really happy. So I'm learning a lot from this show, and I hope everybody else is also. Very good. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. It's that's why we come here. We come here to dig in to these topics, and um, and yeah, it's right there in the title. Find clarity around the things that matter most. So thanks uh, to those of you that have joined us and said hi, Ezra Banks. I see you coming in from from YouTube. You're the first in on my screen. So you win a crocheted bathtub. Congratulations, Ezra and Jean. Welcome from Houston. Uh, over on the Facebook side, Kurt. From Flint, Michigan, on the Twitch side. Wow, we're coming in from all all uh, the different platforms here. D1N75, greetings from YouTube. It's also interesting to see <laughs> what everybody's different names are on the different platforms. Nicole, welcome from Arizona. Mark LePage, welcome from Waxhaw, North Carolina. And Jefferson from uh, Los Angeles, California. Let's see, uh, Scott is joining us from... The sun has finally risen in San Francisco. Glad you're here with us today. I see everybody joining from Facebook right now. This sort of messes up my flow because usually somebody joins from Facebook and they show up as Facebook user rather mm -hmm. than their name. But so far, well, everybody on the Facebook side. We don't need this today. Well, there not goes. yet. Not yet. I'm sure somebody will. Um, there uh, we go. There we go. With a, whew, we there got we a go. customer. <laughs> We've got a customer. We've got a couple of uh, Facebook users joining us, which is the uh, cue to let you know that obviously if you're joining right now from Facebook, you're inside the Entree Architect Community Facebook group, which is a private group just for architects. Uh, about 70, almost 7,400 uh, architects from around the world right now in that Facebook group, but it is a private Facebook group. And because of Facebook's privacy policies, your name and likeness cannot be released from that Facebook group unless you give Facebook permission to do so. So if you want to show up like Mark R. LePage with his name and his uh, photograph of him and one of his sons, it looks like, in that tiny little picture, it's about this big on the screen. Uh, if you want to show up like that, rather than Facebook user, you need to give Facebook permission to do that to speak to Restream, which is the platform that we use. So there's a URL at the bottom left of your screen right now. It's chat.restream.io slash FB, as in Facebook. So if you want to show up with your name and picture, just uh, go to that URL, give Facebook sim super simple 
give Facebook permission to talk to Restream and you'll show up as yourself rather than Facebook user. Um, whichever way you prefer is fine. We've learned not to uh, shorten Facebook user into anything else, so we'll just have to call you Facebook user. It's kind of tempting, whatever. but uh, we don't do it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's tempting. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll try not to. Benito, welcome back from Atlanta. Always good to see the waving hand when you join us. And uh, Mark says that's James, his, uh, his oldest son in the picture with him, his Facebook profile picture there. Uh, sneaking in from the back door on the uh, Twitch side is SKT Architect. <laughs> Glad that you're joining us. Uh, don't You don't even have to come in in the back door right now. We're just getting started. There's plenty of seats in the room. We're glad you're here. So welcome, everybody. Uh, continue to let us know that you're here and where you're joining the conversation from. I did see a Transit Atlantic hello. So I'm going to guess that maybe that's Barry. Nope. Um, nope. Mm, I got that one wrong. Or Carly? Got... No. Bigger country. Way bigger. And Way east. bigger. East. Further, uh, how how about somebody from Australia? No, not that far east. Ghana? Okay. <laughs> it is pretty close. Who is it? It's Olga. <laughs> oh, hi, Olga. <laughs> Welcome, <laughs> Olga. From Moscow, Russia. Thanks for joining us today. That, it was, that is a much bigger country. You're right. Sorry. Good clue. I, I thought. Uh, yeah, I wasn't taking, uh, taking the I clues. The, I'm well, the one but... who likes to guess, not you, Jeff. Like, I love to get things, so sorry. Well, all right. Well, we have established that's Olga, so welcome, Olga. Glad you're here. Brendan Carr, welcome from uh, Hampshire, UK. Glad you're here. And Barry, I saw, popped in a second ago. So uh, Barry's in Scotland, so you're your neighbors over there um, at uh, some point. So thanks for joining us. Um, again, the it is fun to see where you are, so let us know that you're here and where you're joining from. We regularly have an audience from literally around the world, uh, from the east to the west of the United States, jumping right now, jumping uh, the Atlantic to uh, the UK and then over to Moscow. And we'll see if we are friends from from the future, from uh, Australia, New Zealand, uh, Philippines, perhaps, if anybody joins us from there. But it's fun to have these these worldwide conversations going on. And the reason that we're here on these Context and Clarity Live days is to interview our special guest, about a specific topic. And all week we've been talking about succession planning. We've been talking about your firm, what you've created, what your plans are. Do you have any plans, right? And how we plan for the future. So um, why don't I just go ahead and introduce our guest here today, because we've been looking forward to this all week. Uh, Our guest today is an architect, an entrepreneur, a leader, and a partner. She may leap before she looks, but she's a systems solver focused on building a better future. She's the chief executive vision officer of the Donahoe Group, which, by the way, that's the title that I want, chief executive vision officer. That's really cool. Angela Donahoe, welcome to Context and Clarity Live. Hello. Thank you. That is by far the best introduction I've ever had. Thank you. (laughs) You're you're welcome, and we try to get you laughing right before you come on. I so. love it. <laughs> it's great. So you, you're out of breath and everything else. So exactly. So perfect. welcome. Thank <laughs> you. Glad, I'm so happy to be here. This is, here. This is really exciting. Awesome, and and also thank you for joining us while you're on vacation. By the way, <laughs> you're welcome. No, no problem. Uh, Angela. So Angela and I are are in a mastermind group together, and so we had a conversation a little while ago. She says she's actually put a couch 
in front of the door so nobody can get in and disturb her while we're talking. And that's that's next level pre- uh, preparedness. So mm-hmm. welcome and thanks. Yeah. yeah, we got a lot of little ones running around, so I just didn't want to risk it. As cute yeah, as they are. Well, you know, we've we uh, we're used to interruptions. We've seen. You know, we've seen these things, you know, over the last 18 months, which, by the way, thank you to all of you again out there because we celebrated 18 months of uh, of did. context and clarity this week, every day on uh, context and clarity conversations. But over the last 18 months, we've seen lots of examples of people, even when they're live on the BBC, uh, being <laughs> interrupted by little ones and, and mm-hmm. critters and, and things like that. So, you know, we're used to it. Um, you know, no, no worries with any of that. Um, I talked about the fact that you're the chief executive vision officer for the Donahoe group. And for a little bit of background for everybody out there, the Donahoe group with Angela, and and we'll, we'll dig into this here in a minute is a, is now a multi-generational firm. And so all week we've been talking about this idea of, you know, what's the future of your firm. And, and again, I, I've said this over and over, and I want to make sure this is really clear to everybody. We started out the week asking, you know, what did you create? When you started your thing, whatever that is, did you create a, a hobby, an elaborate hobby, a side job perhaps, or a new job for yourself, or did you create a business? Um, and and then we talked about how do you get, get the work done, and then we talked about names and brands and things like that. And and there's there's no judgment in any of that, right? There's no, you know, if, if you said, Hey, I I created a new job for myself and that's what you want. Um, that's what, what you were after. And that's what you aspire for that to be. There's no judgment. That's fine. Right. And if you say, Hey, I don't have any aspirations for my firm to continue on after me, that's fine too. But I think there's still something really important in this conversation on thinking about the future of your firm and planning for the future of your firm, assuming that, um, you know, today is not the day that you're retiring. So, um, Angela, can you tell us a little bit about the Donahoe group and, um, maybe let me, let me back it up, uh, not to steal your thunder, but I know it started out with your father-in-law guy, uh, guy Donahoe, Maybe I could start with this question. When Guy started, you know, back at the very beginning when he started his firm, did he at that point aspire, there you go, did he originally envision the firm to carry on after himself or was he like a lot of people in this audience where he started something and he's going to see where it goes? I don't think he did. Um, When he originally started the firm, it was called Guy A. Donahoe Architecture. And, uh, and so, so that right there is kind of an answer, right? Like it was his name. He started the firm. He, he had one other guy that was working with him. He knew, um, he had just moved into the area, um, to be with his, um, wife and around her family. And so, and he knew he wanted to be on his own because he didn't want a boss. He wanted to do his own thing. It's kind of that, it, like you said, it, it's, it's really common. He just, he wanted to be able to do his own thing. And, uh, turns out he really has a knack for, for business and, and, and really intuitively was able to grow, um, 
the business into to what it was and, and what it continues to be um, this day, which is which is really neat. And uh, but however, when um, my now husband Colin um, went into school for architecture shortly before that, when he knew that he was intending to go to school. Um, again, for architecture, he changed the name of the business. He incorporated it and became and um, and it became uh, Donahoe Architectural Design PC. So you know well, that wasn't completely as a result. It was it was kind of time to make that shift from sole proprietor. You know, there's a whole lot of things that go into that, um, but it did it did coincide with with uh, Colin going to school for architecture. So I think that that kind of got him thinking about how can how can this continue? How can this grow beyond me? Um, you know, no pressure on my husband or anything with the, with the name change, but, uh, yeah, I was, no, I was it, thinking uh, exactly that as you were, but... <laughs> yeah, 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 yep. yeah no, no pressure, but you are going into the family business. Yep. Yep. Yeah. You come right back here and work. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think that's an important place for us to start this conversation because I think that resonates with a lot of people in our audience. Mm-hmm. Um, there are plenty of people that say, Hey, I, you know, when people, whether they do uh, residential projects or some other type of work, you know, hey, people come to me, they know I'm an architect, so the name of my firm is my name, and, you know, it all all works together in just the way that you just explained with mm-hmm. with guys. So I think that's a great starting point. Um, so started out as, as Guy. It, he changed the name and incorporated and all of those things when Colin went to school. But uh, but now you're into I guess in, at least in terms of names you're into a third iteration. So so what's the rest of that story? Yeah. So so our um, our legal entity is still Donahoe Architectural Design PC, um, but our but our DBA is Donahoe Group, and that was a result of a rebranding that we uh, did in, back in 2012, um, and that was shortly after um, Colin joined in 2011, and I joined in in 2012. Um, and uh, so it was kind of it was kind of a um, it was a, a general rebranding, and you know we redid our website at that time, we redid the logo, all those sort of things to kind of change it. Um, as the firm not only grew, it wasn't necessarily about Colin and I joining at that point. It was more about the um, uh, the scale and the range of the of the projects that we were taking on. Um, uh, you know, expanding from just being the um, the the blueprint architecture if, if you can kind of call it that yep that that makes sense so that then, then it becomes almost a, a dual purpose at that point I guess is as you started to evolve um, what what's the what has the process looked like and um, and for those of you so those of you in the audience that have not listened to this yet uh, Angela was on episode number 379. Of the Entree Architect podcast, which I think came out about a year ago, probably. Um, so you can you can hear the full story of uh, of Angela going to school, and and uh, we're not going to get into all of it. We also don't want to get Angela in trouble. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, but you can you can listen to the the whole uh, story of you know this this entire process. But we're going to dig into a few points of it here. Um, What's the what's the hardest part? You know, guy went from basically no no aspirations necessarily of of this thing continuing to hey, there's a possibility to now, you know, we're prepared now 
for the second generation. What are the hardest parts as the three of you, and I know the firm is larger than the three of you, so maybe how large is it, but, but what are the, what are the hardest parts of going through that process and, and thinking about the change Mm -hmm. from sole proprietor world to now we're in, we're looking at a second generation or we're in the second generation of the firm? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. That's kind of, kind of multi-part, I would say. So I think, um, there's lots of parts, right? So one of the, um, one of the challenges is, is certainly, um, being family. Uh, there's, you know, there's another, every, I know there's a lot of people, um, in this, in, in our community that, that work with their spouse. And then, um, the, the nice part about having a third party though, is that it's never a, a even vote. So there's always, there's always, uh, there's always sides. So that, that is very helpful. But, uh, but no, I think, um, we, we've had to have some, have, have had to have some really difficult conversations about, where we all see this heading and how we want to proceed and move forward because um, we all we definitely all are headed in the same direction but there's a lot of different ways to get there and and I think you know we really want that to play you know we want we really want that to be a strength right because my my husband and I this particularly see things in a very very different way which, can lead to, you know, it being very difficult because we might, we might be saying exactly the same thing in a different way. And we, it takes a little bit to get there to realize, wait, wait a minute, this is actually the, you know, we are actually going towards the same thing. Um, so, so we actually, we have a, when we kind of decided that this was what we were moving forward with, um, let me just backtrack for a minute, just to describe a little bit of that, because it, it really started out pretty organically. We didn't really have a conversation, oh, we're going to be partners and we're going to take over this business. Um, but what happened is, and what happens in a lot of firms, the main, you know, the head of the firm, the founder of the firm ends up with everything on their plate and is completely overwhelmed because they're trying to wear all of the hats. So I kind of saw that happening with Guy and I and I have had this, um, I've really loved the, the business side of things for a really long time. I was... Um, you know, the, the CEO of our, of our eighth grade tech class when we made benches and sold them, you know, like, so it's, it's like, it's ingrained. It's been a long time. So, so I also really like to boss people around, but, um, so, so I kind of just started to take things, um, that I saw that were things that I knew that he didn't really want to do, but needed to get done. So I just started taking little tasks at a time off his plate to help him to alleviate some of that, that bottleneck that, that we know happens with, with that person, um, that's at the top. Right. And so, so as that started kind of happening, we had more and more conversations surrounding that and more and more conversations that, that led us to understand that this was where we wanted to go. This was that this, this really could work. We could, we could make this actually happen. We could, we could really turn this into um, a legacy and we could carry this on and, and guy actually could retire if he wanted to, you know, all of those sorts of things. Um, And so, so when we started realizing that, this was something we were really serious about. We wanted to, you know, do it from make it legal, make it, you know, make an actual plan. We started having, an, which we still have um, now, a weekly meeting where we we meet outside of office hours. So we do it. We make dinner, we have dinner, and then we eat, then we meet after after dinner and um, sit and talk about. You know, we have a list of of kind of some generic like 
financial things we review, but then we have different topics that we're trying to work through to solve um, to solve for the business. And it could be something that is longer term, um, you know, like the conversion from AutoCAD to Revit, or it could be something like, when are we going to hire another person? How are we going to go about this process? Or, you know, so we cover a whole range of subjects, but every single week we sit and have a conversation and it's not always the best thing. It's not always the most fun thing to do on a Wednesday night, you know, when, when you're just halfway through the week and exhausted, but, but we do it because that communication and being on that same page is, is so important and, and really essential to making sure that we all have a, an opportunity to, to communicate. Um, you know, as, as we all know in, in our firms, we're all so busy I and mean, we're, you know, we're, we're all over the place in our office. The, if the three of us are in the office at the same time, everyone's like, well, what's going on? <laughs> you know, you know, what's wrong? <laughs> so, so we really try to carve out that time to, to communicate. Um, so back to the question that you asked, um, I would say one of the hardest parts is that, that communication and that, um, kind of transfer of responsibility and, um, making sure that that's all covered, uh, and nothing falls through the cracks and there's no, um, duplications of those things. Cause that's, that's hard to iron out when you're moving a hundred miles an hour. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. There's something you said there that, that made me, made me think again about, you know, a lot of the folks that I know are in our audience right now, you were talking about overwhelm. Um, you know, basically I think the context was guy has too much on his plate, you know, uh, and I know, uh, from our community and also, you know, my clients out there as well, that there are an awful lot of people that are really, really busy right now. Uh, a lot of people talking about overwhelm right now. And so maybe if I could ask this for those that, uh, in the audience that say, you know, I've, I, I really don't have an aspiration of, of expanding or bringing on the next generation or anything like that. And I know this wasn't really your role, but if, if you were to think back, right, if, if you were a sole practitioner right now mm-hmm. and overwhelmed right now because of the amount of work that you have, which is not necessarily a bad thing, right? Go, going through having gone through what you have and going through this process that you're, you continue to go through and, and, and will continue to go through, what would your advice be to someone that is a sole practitioner and is in that spot right now? Um, do you, do you have any advice towards, Hey, maybe think about, you know, some of this process? Yeah. Um, I think, um, you you mentioned this before about uh, everyone has kind of a different path or different aspirations, right? And, and some people, because there's a lot of different ways to create legacy. Um, I know I'm kind of skipping around your question, but I will get back to it. Um, but the because the legacy of your firm, if if you would just just you and you don't want to, you know, it's your name and you don't really want to continue that, your legacy could just be in mentoring another up and coming architect, right? And in sharing what knowledge you've you've acquired over the years, right? That that could be a legacy and honestly a continuation of your business in a way too, because so much of our businesses is the way we do things, the way we design. It's it's not just it's not the client list and, and I know you mentioned that before, but it's not the client list. It's not the building. It's it's the way we do things. It's how we treat our clients. It's how we 
um, have our standards for. It's always a three foot six hallway or, or I don't, you know, how, you know, always align this or, you know, whatever your little idiosyncrasies are. Um, and so I think, uh, I think there's a lot of different ways to create legacy, um, all the way from, like I said, the mentoring to internal, um, takeover or buyout, if you will, to, to a straight up, you know, external buyout as well, right? That's kind of the bigger, probably less seen, um, uh, you know, uh, second generation, if you will. And so, um, and so, so with that, uh, I would say for that sole practitioner that is experiencing that overwhelm, as hard as it is, find someone to help you with the little things, like whether that is, I know a lot of people still do, you know, whether it's your own taxes or bookkeeping or just starting little with those types of things that are outside of the, outside of the architecture world, if you will, still needs your input. There'll be plenty of input to give, still needs your review. That's fine. But little, just try and take little things, particularly little things that you don't like and you procrastinate. That would be my biggest thing is we, we are so fortunate. A lot of people go into business because they want to be able to do their own thing. They want that independence. We have the ability to do essentially what we want to do and have other people do the things that we don't. And, and that's kind of, that's the power of it, right? So, so if there's something that, that you're constantly procrastinating or just absolutely dislike, find, find a way to have someone else do it. That would be, that would be my suggestion. Yeah. I think, I think that's a great suggestion. It, we, Oh, it was probably a year ago or so now we did a special episode basically on, on what you were good at, what you didn't think you were good at, what you love to do, what you don't like to do. And, you know, whether we tie that to Pareto's principle, the 80, 20 rule or whatever yeah. it is, mm -hmm. I, I think that's a real key, not only to your business success, but your own happiness and maybe sanity. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, when you said procrastinate, I was like, yep. <laughs> that's yeah. we, that's exactly when I know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was actually a, a one of those difficult but but really fun conversations that I had with um with Guy and Colin was we sat down and we went through our whole process and we did this just on like the architectural process, not even the business side of things, but said what parts do you love, what parts don't you like? And it and it really was amazing how each of us each of us liked or didn't like and even more importantly, you know, excelled and, and, and really embraced different parts of that process. And, and so we kind of started to shape some of our responsibilities and tasks and, um, who was, uh, creating the, the, um, uh, you know, kind of how, how you do it. I'm missing the word right now, but the, the, how you do it for each of, for each of those sections yeah. was systems was or processes. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. That was what I was looking for systems. Um, so simple. But um, systems for for how you do it, and that's and that's what we started to kind of decide who was going to have the immediate control, because um, that's that is a hard part about having multiple partners. Is especially from going from one partner to three partners. Is it used to be it was all guy, and and we all know you know the, that that email thread that goes to three people and no one's you know no one's directed or the text message, no one responds because if you don't call out one person, if it's not one person's ultimate responsibility it's not going to happen. Um, so that was, that was a difficult and, and um, interesting thing to figure out was who was going to have the ultimate responsibility, which is how I got the title of chief, chief executive vision officer, just to throw that out there. All right. Tell me more about that. 
So we, one of the first things when we decided that we were going to do this partnership, one of my main concerns was, as I mentioned before, about this duplication of responsibility and or dropping things because I thought you had it. I thought you had it. So we really wanted to define within our business what that was, you know, who was responsible. And, um, and so to do that, we set up a, um, an organizational chart for our business. And, and we did this based on role, not, on, not by person. So we kind of, um, you know, so we set up our, our chief level, if you will, it, you know, this whole kind of, you know, beautiful, um, illustrator thing that I put together, but, but all the different roles in the business. So there's, you know, 40 different roles and then assigned a name to each of those, each of those roles. So, you know, we might have 12 roles or 14 roles, um, and what that did is allowed us to understand how over time, as as Guy wants to release on some of these items and take a step back, how we can transfer those, if that is transferred to Colin or I, or if it's transferred to someone else in our firm. Um, it just gave us this visual, and we all know architects are really visual people, but it gave us this visual to be able to see how that might change, how those pieces might are connected or not connected, and kind of the overlap. Um, and so the chief executive vision officer came out of um, the traditional um, setup is usually the CEO, um, the top of that that pyramid, if you will, and then the other chief executives underneath it. And we really didn't want to set it up that way. Um, we really, you know, from a three partner standpoint, we, we didn't want to have one person on the, on the top. So we kind of wanted to put a little bit of a twist in that title so that it wasn't the traditional, we knew it wasn't that traditional CEO. It was more about, in, in our case, it's more about where where are we headed, big picture, planning, long-term, um, our vision, right? Where, where are we going and, and how does that change? Um, so that's, that's how that came up. Um, the, I, I th- and I think that's important. You know, you mentioned legacy and your legacy doesn't have to be, right, the next generation of the firm. It could be the mentor, it could be, or, or the mentee, I guess. In that case, yeah. um, what do you, as the Donahoe Group, uh, do you ever talk about legacy in in those terms? You know, beyond what's what's the next step for the firm to to a broader vision. As far as what would continue into the future, or how we want it to go, or, or yeah, or, or maybe even your impact on the on the community, or or on the the architectural community, or anything mm-hmm. like that. A little bit, um, and some of that is more. I don't know that we've actually ever had that as a focus um, of the conversation, but I would say it's come up in little in little different ways. Um, I think one thing that's one thing that's really important to me in that is. Um, we all work really hard to set up these businesses as, as small business owners. And we really, to set up these, whether you have a written out system or not, we have a way of doing things and we have a way of, of dealing with our clients and we have a way of, of creating um, what we do and in in providing the service that we do. So, so I think um, it's in, in my mind, being able to continue that along instead of having someone have to reinvent the wheel only helps the architectural profession, right? You know, passing along those, and not not that we haven't, and you don't learn from other um, firms or you don't learn from other resources, but being able to, if, if you figured out how it works, let's move that along and keep improving it rather than starting from scratch all, all over again. Um, so so for me, I think that's a big part of the, the legacy aspect. And um, it's something that comes up a lot in, in our mastermind is, is 
you know, how do you, we, we've all worked so hard to get to the point where we're at. Why would we not want to continue that forward and, 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 and help other um, aspiring architects and aspiring business owners too? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that aligns pretty darn well with the entree architect uh, right. purpose as well, <laughs> exactly. helping helping exactly. architects build better businesses. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that that makes a lot of sense to me. Tim Dearborn says legacy is how we're remembered, and and um, I think that's that's an excellent point. Let me ask you this: if you um, what's uh, what's the best way to ask this? If you hadn't um, come into a firm with at that point it was your future husband right and your yeah. your future father-in-law um if you went a different path mm-hmm. um and, and you were you worked in other places um between undergrad and grad and 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 that as well but if you were to start your own firm you know going going back several years if you had just started your own firm um where do you see yourself today? If you had started out on your own, would you be building what could potentially be a multi-generational firm or would you do it differently uh, in some way? I love this question. <laughs> so, so I, I, like I said about being the, the CEO in the eighth grade tech class, you know, I, I really always wanted to um, have my own business. I knew that you know, probably even before I knew I wanted to be an architect, which is kind of funny. Um, and uh, when I worked in between undergrad and, and grad, I worked for a very small firm in, in Brooklyn that um, did not even have a, a, a calendar, an office calendar. And so I, I just took that and ran. And, and over the summer, you know, I worked there for, for a little over a year. And over that time, I just, I mean, I implemented everything I could think of to help this organ, you know, to help organize it and create these business systems around around it, and and my, you know, my boss just loved that because he didn't want to do that. He was he wanted to draw and he wanted to design, and you know, he wanted nothing to do with that. But but he knew that it was beneficial. Um, so I I love doing that stuff, and um, so so I think that if I had not um, if if I had not joined a firm, I think that I would be um, I would have my own firm, but I probably would not be doing enough architectural work. Um, or if I was, I wouldn't be nearly as happy with it. Um, one of the benefits of having two partners that are other architects is that I get to spend, I still, I love to do architecture. I love to meet with clients and, and I do um, primarily residential architecture and I, I love it. But I also really love the business side of things. And so, so I'm, I'm able to actually do a lot of that because I have not only my, my husband and, and father-in-law who are both architects and managing projects, but we have, you know, we have eight people in a, on our staff. So, so we have a, I have a, a business that allows me to work on the business, which is kind of funny. But, um, I think if I was on my own, it, it, I would not be nearly, I mean, I wouldn't be nearly as far, far along. Um, with that development or, or with that, um, uh, the presence or the, the type of jobs we're able to do or, um, the services we're able to provide. That reminds me that, um, Yark Ingalls, the, you know, big, um, he has often said that the best move he ever made was hiring. 
I think she started out as COO, perhaps, and maybe mm-hmm. is now CEO. But basically, mm-hmm. he hired somebody else that could just concentrate on the business, which was obviously his admission that that's not his strong point, yes. um, which I, I think is a very strong position, right? This isn't my strong point. I'm going to hire a C-suite level person to to take this over. And he's often said that was the best move he ever made. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I was thinking as I asked that question and you were talking about what you would create and, and maybe the what your perceived shortcomings of that. But but for those out there, I know we have some in our community that have have in the last we have several in the community that have in the last 18 months started their own firms, uh, starting their own businesses. Um, we also have some in the community that are our employees that are thinking about, dreaming about uh, someday starting their own thing. But what about a strategy? And maybe this isn't like a right out of the gate strategy, but what about a strategy of finding a place where you can eventually work yourself into the, the leadership and ownership of that firm? Is that a viable option that we're, we're kind of skipping over? Yeah, so that's that's really interesting, and and I think it is. I, I really do. Um, I think that that's something that um, can happen a little bit organically. Um, when I will tell you when I when I started working, um, when I started working for my father in law, I did not know that it was going to go. Um, as well, if you will, like I did, I didn't know how successful that was going to be as far as my dream to own my own business. So I was a little apprehensive. It was, um, I really wanted to have a job and I loved the work. I, I had, um, I had admired the work that he had done for years. Um, so I really wanted to learn, you know, I really wanted to be a part of that, but there was a part of me that was really worried because I was like, I've always wanted to you know, have my own business. Is, is this really the path I want to go down? And Turns out it, you know, that really, really worked out well for me. Um, but I think that, I, I think that that is a viable path, um, you know, as far as finding a, a firm that you love their work and, and you know that that's going to be something that wants to, to you know, they want to move on. I do think that it is um, a conversation to be had, uh, maybe not upfront, but, but definitely, definitely not when you're ready to take the firm over you're like i'm ready to join you know <laughs> um but but i think uh not only from a um just from from your own obviously future standpoint but but from getting the the firm owner who may not not have thought that was possible um get get them into that mindset uh there's there's so many things uh there's so many things that can happen ahead of time to, to smooth that transition, um, if you will. There's there's it 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 takes a long time um, if you're trying to do it internally and you really want to make it want to make it smooth. Um, so so I think that would be a really really neat way to approach it, um, particularly if it's you know if if it's a business that you love the work that they do, you love the culture they they've created and, and, uh, and you respect that and to, to want to continue to grow it. Uh, I don't know, you know, you'd hope that people wouldn't really want to turn that opportunity down. Well, I, I kind of have a question related to that. So if you are a firm owner and you're thinking, you know, maybe I actually do want to create some kind of plan and I want to hire people who might want to take over my company. How do you get the people who would be interested? How do you know if there are people who would be interested in 
having their own business and having my business rather than their own business? How do you, how can you hire those people? That that's a wonderful question. And it, that type of question about how to know who to hire for what position comes up. I mean, I, I think I talk about that with different people on a, on a weekly basis. How do you know who has the right strengths and who, who's going to want to do that? And, and I think, um, I think there's certain traits that, that you can look for, um, you know, and, and not, not like the, the traits, like I'm detail oriented that everyone puts on their resume. You know, it's the, it's, it's different. You know, it could be the, um, the way that they talk about, um, their passion for different parts of the architectural process in the interview, or it could be the, the work that they've created or the position that they've held before. Um, I, I think it kind of comes down to, to some, um, maybe some difficult and, and almost personal conversations about where they really want to be um, and, and how, and how they want to get there. Um, I, I don't know. Cause that's, it's, it's so hard to know who's going to be that right fit. Cause there's so many parts to that. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but I think you have to have the conversation if, if that's what you're looking for. Um, I, I think you just have to, to really just get to it and, and talk about it. Yeah. And kind of on the other side of that, we were talking this morning in Clubhouse about why do there are a number of people who have been promised this kind of thing by the owners and just strung along and then it never materializes. They don't, it doesn't go anywhere. And um, this question, why do they do that? I don't know if you can answer that question. <laughs> so I have, a, I have a, um, I have some theories about it for sure. Um, I think, uh, I think a big part of it is, is control. Um, and, and that seems kind of basic, right? But, but I think, um, some people get into, want to create their own business because they want control over everything, right? They, they want to be able to be the person that has that say. So handing that over after how many, you know, years and years and decades of, of being that person that has control is, is really hard. Um, and so, so I think that that's a, uh, a huge mindset shift that has to happen long before they're ready to step back, right? And, and long before, um, yeah, long before they're going to be, they're going to be leaving because otherwise they're not going to want to. Uh, I think, um, having, and this is, and this is a conversation I've, I've had with, um, with another colleague, but, but having an actual written plan about the shift of responsibilities. Um, seems to be kind of a way to start prompting those difficult conversations or, or kind of reinforcing what that plan is. So if, if there is an eight year transition plan or an eight year fade out plan or something like that, really articulating, okay, these are the responsibilities. This is what has to happen in our, in our firm. You have control of these now. Year one, this shifts. Year two, this shifts. And it could be that broad, right? Um, but having that written down, it, do we all do what's written down and what's planned? No, <laughs> but, but at least that's starting to get that mindset, you know, in place and starting to, to give something to back up the conversation and say, Hey, no, I, I've got this. You can, you know, you concentrate on this. I'm taking over this responsibility. I can do it. And, and stepping up and, and really doing it too, because that's, that is also really challenging. Yeah. That's, that's one theory. That's one kind of idea of mine on, on why that happens. I, I think that's a really important point too, in terms of setting, setting it up for success, right? Setting the firm up for future success because it's, um, 
and successfully, I mean, if we look at it one way, successfully wrangling that control away from the person mm-hmm. that's had control for decades and may be having trouble, that that's not really the whole point. But if this firm is going to be a success going into the future, it can't be at the flip of a switch, right? We've oh, got yeah. to have this transition. We've got to have mm-hmm. this this evolution, you know, with relationships, with responsibilities, with systems and all of those things. I think that's a really, really great point. Uh, you know, one question I, I, someone brought up this morning also was how do you determine what the real value is of a firm? And it doesn't sound like in your case, you're, there's money passing hands, I guess. But if you were uh, an employee who buying out the um, main principal or the owner, how do you know what the value is? Yeah. So, so we actually do have a, a buyout plan um, in place that, that we are doing over over time um, to become partners, and and that was really important to us, to my husband and I, because um, we didn't want there to be any confusion about the um, the value that we see in the firm and and that and what we know that we're getting, if you will. Um, so we really wanted to make sure that that was something that that we um, made not not you know overly public, but, but that it wasn't just this, we're taking everything and, and getting everything. We really, you know, <laughs> because you know, that was just kind of, that was really important to us. Um, but, but with that, so, so we did it, um, a couple different ways and it's hard because it's money, right? And money is always hard, but, but we actually, um, we actually had, there's a couple different, you know, professional services that'll do it. And there's a, there's some different metrics. So we use three different metrics and use the average of that. And we do it each year um, as, cause that shifts and changes of course, over the, over the years. Um, uh, and, and so we have that redone every single year and we use that to, to, um, you know, I have a little Excel formula and everything set up, but, but that's how we, we do that. Um, digging further into this though, this is the conversation that we've been going through and, and, um, in our mastermind now for maybe two months, we've been going over a bulleted list of all the different elements that, that contribute to your, to your firm's value and the real value of it. Um, you know, everything from, do you have, um, a board of directors that you're, people have, you know, like, what is that? You know, this is amazing. And, and we know the people in our firm, they're like, yeah, I, I do. I have this group of people I talk to and, you know, and, and, or, um, you know, what systems do you have in place for hiring new people and onboarding new staff? And what do you have for um, for potential client retention? Or what do you have for your your actual architectural process, right? Your, your services you provide. So so I think there's there's the metrics that you can that you can do for it. And it takes some of the, the financial pieces into the equation. But there's also um, there's also a lot more to it as far as what are you able to pass along? Um my my opinion on that is is I think that the the systems, the way you produce your drawings, your um, design standards, th- those are the things that hold a lot of value for me. Um, and 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 really, what it came down to was a lot of research, a lot of reading for us, and and talking about what would be what we're all comfortable with, what makes sense, what what do we feel that that value is as well. So there's a little bit of um, our own kind of, um, not intuition, but, but gut feeling um, as far as what what's worth to us. Uh, should I ask John's question here? 
Yes. Yeah. Is that, okay. That's where I was headed. <laughs> All right. Go ahead. So th- this is a question that John asked this morning on Clubhouse, and I think it's I think it ties really well uh, in this conversation because I think you know as as you've been going along and learning these things and um, adapting these models and all the metrics and everything else, would you ever consider acquiring other small firms as a as a uh, a way for your firm to grow? Certainly. And uh, John goes on to say so many sole proprietors just retire and leave their practice while uh, there's usually at least some value in the referrals and, and you know, the, the work that will still come in, in a few years. So what do you think about that? Would, um, would you ever consider that um, or would you consider uh, or would you recommend that as a strategy for others? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, we actually kind of, um, it was kind of a, a quasi-acquisition, if you will. This was before I was a, a, a partner, maybe eight, nine years ago now, um, a, a local firm was closing down and the vice president actually reached out to us um, about joining our firm and bringing, um, because he wanted, he did a lot of commercial work and, and we were doing, um, our mix was probably 80, 20, 80 residential, 20 commercial at the time. And he needed a new home, if you will. And, you know, had all these clients, the, the owner had been retiring and been out of the picture. Had, this has been happening for a long time and, and decided finally just, he was going to close the doors. And, and so we kind of, um, kind of did that and not, not so much of an official capacity, but, but hired, um, someone from that firm and, and, um, and brought on some of the clients and, and his more, more importantly, his, his management and his connections with, with some of the commercial, um, projects and, and developers that he had, that he had worked with before. Um, but with that, I would say, uh, definitely, I think, I think it's a great, a great way to, again, help someone to continue, you know, an element of their legacy, um, and, and, um, help them get some value out of, of the firm that they've created, uh, and, and a great way to kind of continue to grow. Um, it does bring up an interesting, um, thinking of it in kind of a larger than sole proprietor aspect. There is kind of this interesting conversation about what makes more sense. Is it, if you acquire another firm, do you let them run and do their own thing with what they've created or do you try to bring them on to the system and everything and the way that you've been doing things? And, you know, this is, I, I kind of love that, that conversation, that topic, because there's so many ways about that. Um, there's so many, there's so many ways around that. And there's, there's pluses and minuses to both sides. And um, it's one of those things I think I, I could debate on or really just like really think about for a long time, which just is how, goes to show how like much I really do love like the business side of things. Yeah. But I mean, it's, uh, it's a question of culture yeah. at that point, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um in 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 transition of cultures. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but okay. yeah it go ahead. No, no, I was just gonna say that, you know, there's it, it just it could go really right and it could go really wrong. And that's the risk of it, right? Um yeah. that 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 really is. Well, I think, you know, going back to something you said a few minutes ago, it's the, the when you're talking about value, do you have a board of directors? Do you have uh, these systems in place? And one you mentioned was an HR kind of system. Um, that that culture piece is part of it as well. And so I, I think a lot of times you see this, we're bringing, 
your example is great. Bring this group on. They've got four projects in progress right now. Um, they're going to finish them out, you know, the way that they were started, right? And, you know, based on their processes or lack thereof, their culture or whatever. But then going forward, they're going to have to be uh, those people, those human beings are going to have to be uh, brought into the culture and brought up to speed on the new systems and processes that, that we use. Otherwise, we're starting to dilute some of that value, um, you know, as we're defining it in those in those different metrics. But I know there's plenty of plenty of room for conversation mm -hmm. on all of those things. Um, the uh, Tim says in buying firms, it's a way to acquire talent and to eliminate competition. So that's uh, I think that's a really good point as well. If you're in a competitive market. Uh, in certain project types or, or an area or something like that. Um, talk about talk about the culture of the Donahoe Group and how it has evolved in your time there. That's interesting. <laughs> how it's evolved. I was ready for the first part of the question, but not the second part. That's interesting. Well, all right. So let me reframe it a little bit. You know, you okay. you started essentially as as part time, right? As uh, I don't know, as an intern, or uh, you, you started doing some work with them, and and obviously, your role has evolved greatly yes. over that time. And and we're talking about a, how many years are we talking about at this point? It'll be ten in. Uh, it'll be ten years in in June. Yeah. 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 Actually. So, yeah. So t over 10 years time, everything's going to change. Yes. Um, what, what was, what was the culture like when you were coming on mm -hmm. versus the way it is now? And, and at that point it was still just guy as a sole owner at that point, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. To the point where now you, you have, uh, your three partners, um, what's changed in that time? Other than everything. Well, yeah, everything. I'm, you know, I'm thinking back, putting myself back in that moment, everything. Um, yeah, I, I started, uh, it was, um, so, so we're in uh, the central New York area and, and we're always like, you know, the rebuild from the economic collapse, it was years behind when the rest of the world kind of, you know, or some of the, the larger areas, I should say, really kind of rebuilt from that, that 2008, um, Consequently, 2009, not a great time to, to graduate with an architectural degree. <laughs> no jobs. <laughs> I think I worked for, you know, I, it was, yeah, it was crazy. But anyways, so, so, um, so I think, uh, so when I approached Guy about wanting to work for him, he said, he was like, I, I would love to, I would love to have you, but, but we're, we're, you know, they were four people at the time. So we're four people. It's, that's a lot to add, you know, with, so he was like, if we can make it happen, we'll, we'll make it happen. And, uh, and so the day after I graduated, he, um, a, my, my then boyfriend, Colin called me up and was like, can you come into the office and, and help me with this project for a little bit? And then I came in the next day and came in the next day and I just keep showing up and, you know, it's, it's great, but no. Um, so, so when, when I started, it was, um, it was very much, uh, guy at the top of that pyramid, if you will, of, um, of of the equation, he was the one that met with clients. No, you know, not many, 
occasionally other people would, but he was the main, he was definitely the face of, the, of that company. Everyone, you know, if, if they were looking for Donahoe design, it was Guy. That was who they were, that was who they were looking for. Um, and, and so we had, an, we had an open studio. We were in a different office even. So we had an open studio. Guy had a office that was up a flight of stairs in the, in a tower. So just, you know, just imagine, <laughs> imagine that right there. Right. Um, and so, so we, um, it, we soon thereafter moved into what is our office now, um, which had, which is a little bit of a different environment. It was separate offices. Uh, you know, we had our, our own kind of conference space. We had, um, we expanded, we brought on a, a number of different people. So that, that kind of changed, um, the, the feeling, uh, as well, of course, um, the, it started to very, very early on guys started taking Colin and I, um, out to meet clients, um, way, I mean, he was, he was so great um about that sorry i was laughing at john's comment about the tower yeah he, he really did love that tower it was pretty great um so so we uh so he he started taking us out um you know almost immediately and because he knew he knew our our turn or you know our um goal was to be was both to be licensed architects so he i mean he brought us on right away he really he really embraced that and so it quickly changed from guy being the project manager and guy being this the main head to oh it was it was colin and i were meeting with clients as well and, and we were starting to be you know project managers and we were kind of falling into that role um and then there was this shift of of like i started saying taking me taking things off of guy's plate so it started with a lot of hr stuff so then i kind of became like if people needed something hr wise like needed to needed to take a day off or need they started coming to me for that kind of Thing or they needed, they had a question about payroll or um, paperwork or, you know, just like, you know, those HR things. They, that's what they came to. And then it was about systems. I started doing that kind of thing. So if they had questions about that. So, so it sort of started shifting. Um, we started this organic sort of shift of, of who would, who people talked to, how they got answers. Um, and, and so I think um, our, our, all along our firm culture has been pretty, um, not not super casual, but very um, family oriented. Imagine that, uh, and uh, you know, love for design, passionate about that. Um, and I think it's shifted. It's gone from extremely passionate about design to passionate about design, but also about running a business. And we've kind of, and that and that does shift how people feel about accounting for their time, or you know, tracking their time, or or understanding where a project's at from a budget standpoint or the responsibility that's associated with that. Um, kind of broadening that from firm culture, but, but that all those things sort of play into, um, I think, I think how that works. Uh, so that was kind of a little rambling, but, but that's kind of, um, how I, how I've seen that shift over the years. Yeah. Well, I, I think that even just that last, you know, sentence or two that you said, the kind of that shift from the, really passionate design focus to yes we're focused on design but also on hey this is a business um i mean that that i think that speaks to the culture um a lot right we're mm -hmm. we're looking at this as a long-term um long-term game that uh, we're going to succeed both on the design side and on the on the business side mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I know we're, we've made it to the top of the hour, and I appreciate everybody hanging on with us here. Um, 
through this conversation with Angela Donahoe. It's been a good conversation. And I think maybe, you know, maybe the, the way to wrap this up, because we have so many uh, in our audience, uh, and, and for those of you that have never been to uh, Context and Clarity before, um, we really are focused on the things that matter most to small firm architects. Doesn't mean everybody here is a small firm architect, but we're trying to figure out how these architects um, can build better businesses, so they can they can do the things that they want to do, that they can they can do the work that they want to do, and and be freed up, you know, to exercise on that that passion for design. So. Um, Again, Angela, as we think about the small firm architects, many of whom, until we started talking about this this week, may not have thought about um, the legacy of their firm in the way that we've talked about it in this last hour. What what um, what advice do you have for somebody that ha- maybe they are a sole proprietor? But what advice do you have for them as they think about the future? Of, of the firm, this thing that they, they've created, the thing that they're working on right now? Having it up and all of that in one sentence. Big, um, big, big questions. Big question. No, I, I think it's great. And I, and I, I really, um, this is something I, I, I think about a lot uh, because, because I know a lot of firm owners don't even think it's, it's an option or a possibility because not everyone has a, a, a son and a daughter-in-law who walk in and want to do that. I, I fully appreciate that that's not, we're in a very unique situation. Um, so I guess I would really, um, I would really say, think about what you want to do. Um, that sounds really silly, but, but think about, if you think about in five years, again, these, these tasks, what do you really, what, what do you love to do as part of your business? There's, there's no way that every single person, you know, there's no way that you love every single part of running a business. There's, there's no person out there that loves every part of it. There's some part of it that you don't love. So, so really dig deep and, and, and look and think about those things that you don't necessarily want to do or don't feel you have to do and start thinking about how you can pass those elements along. Right. And, and then continue that conversation and think about, okay, now that I'm doing the things that I love to do, right? I'm doing the only things. How can I step back as, as I get older? I mean, 99% of us are doing this because we really love it. You couldn't do it if you didn't really love it, right? So, so maybe you don't want to completely retire. Maybe you still want to be able to dabble in some, some parts or pieces of it. So, so how can you start to migrate those parts and pieces? How can you start to step back on some of the things you don't love as much, but still hold on to a little bit that you do love and still be able to pursue the hobby part of it, right? Put the wrapping it all the way back to, to the Monday conversation, right? So, so bring it back to find a way to move your business along so it can still run. You can still, you can still carry on all that hard work that you, that you really did put, all those things you did, you didn't want to do, pass it along so you can keep the hobby part of it so you can continue to do what you love for however long you want to until you do want to step back and, and remove yourself from, from that. That's fantastic. That's great advice. I mean, if anybody was, was looking for a way to, to cap this off, you know, figure out a way to really enjoy 
this thing that you've created and, and what you want to do. That's thank you for that advice, Angela. And, uh, and thank you for sharing your story. It's a great story and uh, it'll be fun to watch, uh, how the story evolves and progresses because it keeps going. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. For, to uh, those of you out there in our audience, thank you as always for joining us and uh, making context and clarity a thing. Again, we celebrated 18 months of these daily conversations uh, yesterday, actually, it was on October 6th. We started this all on April 6, 2020. So October 6, 2021 was 18 months of daily conversations called context and clarity. And that's only because of all of you that are in the audience. Um, there's nobody in the world that would wanted to would, would, would have wanted to hear me uh, talk for 18 months, right? This is because of you that we get to have these conversations with people like Angela and really dig into uh, these topics like legacy, future, enjoying the work that you have created uh, succession plans and things like that. So thanks to all of you for creating this. Thank you, Angela, uh, for joining us and uh, Catherine for uh, keeping the wheels on the bus as usual. I think we pulled it successfully into the station here. Yep. And to, uh, <laughs> to those of you that are listening to this in the future on the podcast version of this, thanks for listening. Uh, a reminder that one thing that we do as soon as this conversation is over, um, we're going to, we'll, we're wrapping this up and then Catherine and I go backstage with a member of the community. We're not going to tell you who that person is, nope. but we break this conversation down. We talk about our biggest takeaways from this conversation and also about things that we can apply from this conversation to our own businesses. We call that context and clarity backstage. So this podcast if you're listening to it now, it's already come out. You know that. But if you're in the live audience right now, the podcast version of Context and Clarity Live right now will be out on Monday. The Context and Clarity Live backstage will be out on Tuesday. So you've got to listen on Tuesday to find out who our mystery guest is and what their takeaways from this conversation are. It's our way of taking this aspirational and really informative conversation and really turning it into uh, completely applicable in all of our different contexts. So uh, I think that's an exciting, relatively new version of the uh, Context and Clarity podcast. So check that out. Um, and of course, we'll be back tomorrow on, at 9 a.m. on the Clubhouse app to wrap up this week of talking about secession planning and legacy and future. Uh, look for the Context and Clarity Club on Clubhouse and same bat time, same bat channel, 4 p.m. Eastern inside the Entree Architect Community Facebook group to, uh, again, wrap up the uh, conversation version of this tomorrow afternoon. So, again, thanks to all of you. Thank you, Angela, again for joining us. And um, we'll see everybody out there. Hopefully, we'll see you around somewhere sometime soon. Thanks, everybody. Okay, well, there you have it. What did you think of that conversation? Hopefully, there was some big takeaway that will help you this week with your business. If there was, let me know. DM me on Instagram or on Twitter. You can find me on all the socials at Jeff underscore Eccles. So send me a message and let me know what your takeaway was. And if you want more conversations like this, subscribe to the Context and Clarity podcast and leave us an honest review and rating. Those things really help us get the message out and help us help more architects just like you. 
Oh, and follow Context and Clarity on Instagram as well, so you can get a heads up on everything that's coming up. In our next episode, Catherine will join me again along with a special guest, or will it be guests from the Context and Clarity community, so we can break this conversation down. It will be Context and Clarity backstage, so to speak. So join us as we all share our biggest takeaways and look for ways to apply what we heard in today's conversation to our own businesses. And if you love content like this, check out Gable Media. It's a multimedia network for people that care about the built environment, and it's the home of Context and Clarity. With Gable's growing family of podcasts and video channels, I know that you'll find something there that interests you. You can learn more at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And finally, if today's topic is of particular interest to you and you'd like to dig deeper into it, then join me over in the Entree Architect Community Facebook group. That's where every weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern, I host context and clarity conversations. And we take these topics and we dig deeper. We have a conversation in real time to try to find more clarity around the things that matter most to you. So thanks for listening. I hope our time together has inspired you to think about your community, your practice, and how you can support those around you. Catherine and I will be back for our next episode. And in the meantime, I hope you'll join me and the Entree Architect community on Facebook today at 4 p.m. Eastern so that we can help each other find more clarity around the topics that matter most, no matter what your context may be. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.